You are listening to News Source 1, Michiana, Michiana's new choice for balanced news through podcast. Welcome to the afternoon show, which is called Michiana Speak Out. I'm your host, Keith Thews, and it is an extremely treacherous Tuesday out there. And uh, so let's go ahead and go to the news, and then I'm going to turn everything over to the Michigan Department of Transportation for your extremely important safety driving tips. News Nation this hour, I'm Vic Vaughn. Investigators in Colorado believe a single suspect carried out a shooting spree, killing four people at six locations in just over an hour last night, all in Denver and its suburb Lakewood. Three others were injured, including a police officer. The suspect is dead. Motive is under investigation. There were no survivors in the crash of a small business jet with four people aboard in San Diego County, California. It was caught on this man's doorbell camera. Something just happened. There's a fire. A jet just crashed, baby. It just blew up. It happened last night in unincorporated El Cajon. It knocked power out for three neighboring communities. No injuries on the ground. Cause is under investigation. Police outside Fort Lauderdale, Florida, are asking the local public for help solving a deadly hit and run involving six children. Broward County Sheriff spokeswoman Miranda Grossman says Wilton Manners is devastated. Two children were found to be deceased on scene and pronounced deceased on scene, and four others were. Uh, transported to area hospitals. The kids hospitalized range from a year to 10 years old. At least two of them are in critical condition. Happened during daylight yesterday in a residential neighborhood. A January 13th hearing's been scheduled to reconsider a 110-year prison sentence for a truck driver in Colorado. Rahel Aguilera Medeiros was driving a semi-trailer in the Rocky Mountain foothills in 2019 that set off a chain reaction crash. Four people were killed. State law in Colorado says the mandatory minimum prison term is 110 years. District Attorney Alexis King is willing to go much lower. We will likely be recommending a sentence of between 20 to 30 years. Aguilera Madeira says the brakes on the semi failed. I'm Ed Donahue. Jury deliberations have resumed in the sex abuse trial of British socialite Ghislaine Maxwell. The jury came back from a long holiday weekend asking for multicolored sticky notes, a whiteboard, and transcripts of some trial testimony. They asked about the definition of enticement and a question about the law, to which the judge responded they need to review the jury instructions she had given. Ghislaine Maxwell's charged with recruiting and grooming teenagers as young as 14 to be sexually assaulted by financier Jeffrey Epstein. I'm Jackie Quinn. The National Institutes of Health has found the coronavirus that causes COVID-19 can persist in almost all parts of the human body for up to 230 days after infection, including in the brain and heart. It's from a new study conducted on the bodies of people who died from or with COVID-19 in the first year of the pandemic. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and the News Nation Now app. I'm Vic Vaughn. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Nick Harper. The charity Save the Children has blamed Myanmar's military for the deaths of two of its staff members in the country. The organization has called on the United Nations Security Council to take action. FSN's William Denslow reports from the UN headquarters in New York. According to Save the Children, the two members of staff were new fathers traveling home for the holidays when they were killed. 
The charity says that at least 35 bodies have been found following an attack in the eastern Kaya state. The military seized power in Myanmar back in February and have denied the claims. Save the Children has called on the UN Security Council to meet and hold those responsible to account. Myanmar's UN ambassador, a fierce critic of the country's military, has also called on the UN to take decisive action. Russia has ordered the closure of the country's longest-running civil and human rights group, International Memorial. The Supreme Court closed it after prosecutors labelled the organisation a public threat, backed by Western countries to draw attention to Soviet-era crimes. Memorial was founded to remember victims of communism, millions of whom were imprisoned and executed. Meanwhile, Russia and the US have confirmed that they'll hold security talks on January the 10th. Confirmation comes amid tensions with Ukraine and demands from Russia over NATO expansion, as FSN's Julia Chapman explains. The new year will bring a flurry of diplomatic efforts to reach a rapprochement with Russia over security concerns. The West accuses Moscow of a substantial military build-up around Ukraine. Amid rising tensions, Russia issued a series of demands about NATO's presence in Europe. It wants the military bloc to promise not to expand eastwards and to limit military activity in countries bordering Russia. In the second week of January, Russian negotiators will meet with US, NATO and European counterparts to put forward its demands in person. Officials say Moscow's concerns will be heard, but the two sides are coming from drastically different positions. The US has halved the self-isolation time for those testing positive for COVID-19 in an attempt to get people back to work quicker. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has reduced the recommended isolation time for asymptomatic patients from 10 to 5 days. As the Omicron variant spreads across the country, staff shortages have caused disruption, in particular for the airline industry. Airlines have cancelled thousands of flights over the last few days. Another 800 were cancelled in the US on Tuesday. China has reported Elon Musk's SpaceX company to the United Nations after reports his satellites narrowly missed the Chinese space station. Beijing claims its space station had two close encounters with Musk's Starlink satellites in July and October this year. From Bureaus Worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Today, more memories of Desmond Tutu, who died over the weekend at the age of 90. Today's come from John Carlin, the former South Africa bureau chief for The Independent, recalling Archbishop Tutu's stewardship of a funeral for 48 people massacred by apartheid-era security forces in June 1992. There was a township outside Johannesburg called, called Boy Patong, where 48 people were massacred one day. The amazing thing was that he, he wept and he, he, he absolutely sort of tapped into the sorrow and indeed the anger of the people. But at the same time, he managed also to inject some humor into the proceedings. Only Tutu could pull this off. He had this sort of perfect judgment of tone. And at one point in the speech, after weeping and expressing all the sorrow of the people's deaths, he said, look how ridiculous, not only how unjust, but how ridiculous this apartheid system is. What if instead of discriminating against people because of the color of their skin, they'd chosen to discriminate against people with big noses like mine? 
And, and he sort of went off on this sort of whole diatribe about the absurdity of the whole thing of selecting skin color as opposed to other physical characteristics to discriminate against people the way apartheid so systematically and horribly did. And smiles came to people's faces. And again, he defused the tension. Tomorrow, further memories of Archbishop Tutu from veteran South African journalist John Battersby. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. And the main news again, the charity Save the Children has blamed Myanmar's military for the deaths of two of its staff members in the country. Russia has ordered the closure of its longest-running human rights group, International Memorial. Russia and the US has confirmed they'll hold security talks on January the 10th, and the US has halved the self-isolation time for those testing positive to COVID-19 in an attempt to get people back to work quicker. That's Feature Story News, Nick Harper reporting. When winter weather hits Michigan roads, MDOT and other road agencies are out in force, working to get them cleared as soon as possible. We are always watching the weather and so we can anticipate what's going on and so we can call in all the employees and uh, have them ready to go uh, so they can get out timely and, and stay ahead of the storm. Michigan State Police reminds drivers that regardless of conditions, drivers have a responsibility to maintain control of their vehicles at all times. The most important fact to remember about driving in adverse weather is that the handling capabilities of your vehicle are drastically reduced. Drivers must obey the basic speed law, which means they must operate their vehicle at a careful and prudent speed, taking into account the road and weather conditions at all times. MDOT and other agencies are using new technologies to be efficient and effective when maintaining winter roads, such as gathering atmospheric data and camera images from plow trucks. Drivers can see that information through the MyDrive travel information website. If they click on the website, they can go in and they actually see a map of Michigan and the little snow plow trucks will show up on the roads right where they're actually at at the time. And we also have cameras in there so the public will be able to see what the drivers are actually seeing. Safe winter driving starts with gathering weather and road condition information, but also with making sure your vehicle is ready for winter conditions. Make sure your vehicle is properly maintained and you equip your vehicle with tires that are in good condition, has the appropriate tread depth, and inflated to the recommended tire pressure. Before you go, remove the ice and snow. Clean all your windows, all your lights, and your license plate. This will not only assist you in being able to see clearly out all windows, but will also prevent snow from blowing off your vehicle and obscuring the vision of other drivers. When out on the road, be sure to give snow plows plenty of room. They are traveling slower than the speed limit, but that helps keep any salt or sand they are distributing on the road and reduces the cloud of snow kicked up behind them. But our plow drivers, there's a lot of snow being thrown around, visibility is low, and people need to give them the room to do their job. Plus, out in front of the truck is where the road's in worse condition. Behind the truck, it's in better condition, so it's usually better to stay behind the truck if at all possible. Snow plows are now using flashing green lights in addition to flashing amber, which studies have shown are more visible in inclement weather. Drivers must also remember Michigan's move over law, which requires them to move over into an open lane when encountering a stationary emergency vehicle, such as police, fire, ambulance, or tow truck, or slow down and pass with caution. The law not only helps keep emergency responders safe, 
but also helps prevent passing motorists from becoming involved in a secondary crash. Safety is the top priority for all road maintenance agencies, and crews are committed to getting roads clear of ice and snow as soon as possible. Plow operators absolutely care about the roads. Their families are out there, their friends are out there, their co-workers, and it's their jobs. So in the end, they want to do their jobs and make the roads as safe as possible. But no matter what the roads look like when you head out, it's up to you to make sure you get where you're going safely. Avoid distractions, turn on your headlights, and leave extra space between you and the vehicle ahead. If you must travel during inclement weather, make sure you plan your route ahead of time. Check the weather and road conditions before leaving and allow yourself plenty of time to travel. The Michigan State Police and the Michigan Department of Transportation urges you to make safe driving a priority this winter season. Welcome back to Michigan Speak Out. That was the Michigan Department of Transportation with their winter weather safety driving tips. Today is really our first bout of winter weather for winter weather season 2021-2022, albeit a bit late. Uh, roads are very treacherous out there. I was driving from Bristol, Indiana, and I can say it was extremely snow-covered, slick, and hazardous. Uh, Elkhart City, the city uh, plow trucks are out. In the county, I just saw uh, one county plow truck out. They are starting to treat the roads and plow the roads, but if you're on a not a main road or you're on a county road, drive a lot slower. Give ample distance between you and the next fella. Uh, it's a mess out there. Treat it with respect and stay safe. And if you don't have to drive in this mess, don't. We're going to have snow. Uh, it's been going on since between 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock in our listening area that it started. It came down heavy and has stayed pretty much consistent. Um, definitely on the north end of the, of the counties. Um, and it's expected to fall between 5 and 6 o'clock today. Uh, conditions should improve um, for the rest of this week. But, according to the weather I've heard today, um, but it's not going to be the same down in the south. If you are or know somebody uh, from Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, um, for tomorrow, you are under serious severe weather threat, and Saturday is going to be even worse, including very southeastern Texas, Louisiana, and the states mentioned beforehand. Um, serious, serious, serious severe weather potential and uh, tornado outbreak definitely likely uh, for both days, but most likely on Saturday. If the storm chasers are frightened, you know it's going to be bad. And this severe weather outbreak has been talked about in National Weather Service and storm chase circles since last week. They've been looking at the forecast models. It doesn't look good. Um, so be careful out there. If you know anybody in the South, send them over to New Source 1 Michigan on Facebook. we got videos. Or go to Reed uh, Timmer Extreme Storm Chaser or um, the other fellows that I posted, Eric Graves, WX. Uh, he's got stuff on And he was even using the word potential. Depends on the weather situation with the low pressure. That's uh, kind of an unusual one. He said that Saturday could be an epic 
EPIC severe weather outbreak down in that area, Mississippi, Alabama, uh, south, far southeastern Texas and Louisiana. So please, um, we're not going to be affected by severe weather and tornadoes, but if you know anybody in the south, please alert them for their own safety and with keeping what happened in Kentucky in mind. Uh, on a happy note, before we go on to the rest of our program today, um, fireworks, downtown Elkhart, 1030, downtown, 1030, New Year's Eve. Uh, I hope to talk to somebody about that, but uh, mark your calendars, uh, ice skating. Uh, Sylvia shared the official announcement today on our Facebook group, New Source One, Michiana. I'm going to leave you right now. Uh, when we come back, we'll turn over to John Schaefer, who has a COVID comparison that I put together. We had put up last week. We're going to hear it again. And tomorrow, I look forward to talking to a very familiar voice to all of you, a person that does have COVID-19 and a pretty strong, severe bout of it um, that they had. So be tuned for that interview. And hopefully on Friday, I'll get a chance to talk to people over at Susanna's Kitchen and uh, celebrate the end of the second phase of their ministry and their transition to a new location in Elkhart. Such a great place they are. You're listening to New Source One, Michiana. I'm off of here. Uh, you be extremely careful when you're driving. John Schaefer with the update on COVID-19 as how it may compare to the 1918 Spanish flu. It is widely believed that COVID-19 has been just as deadly as the Spanish flu, if not more so. More than 705 Thousand people have lost their lives due to the coronavirus in the U.S. alone, beating the grim record previously held by the Spanish flu. When the Spanish flu broke out, the population of the U.S. was one-third of what it is currently, and the death toll was as high as 675,000. This is one reason why it is still debatable whether the pandemic can be compared or not. The scientific advancements that have been made in the last century led to faster development of COVID-19 vaccines. However, new variants are still showing up all the time and the efficiency of these vaccines are still somewhat in doubt. The Spanish flu never went extinct and over the years became a mild seasonal bug. Some people assume that they will be the fate of COVID-19. 
However, that will likely take a long time and repeated infections and vaccinations all over the world to occur. With the Delta variant and many other variants of the coronavirus spreading globally, then the pandemic still has a tight grip on the world. Many people around the globe are struggling to come to terms with the aftermath of the pandemic, much like a century ago with the Spanish flu. The influenza pandemic, also known as the Spanish flu back in 1918, was caused by the H1N1 virus and spread across the world from the years 1918 to 1919. With over 500 million people being affected by this virus globally, and the death toll was around 50 million. The Spanish flu was first detected in the spring of 1918, and by summer it spread like wildfire. Although the first wave of the virus did not have a high fatality rate, it mutilated during this time, and the second wave that started in August of that year caused two-thirds of the Spanish flu deaths. The third wave of the Spanish flu hit the world near the end of 1918 and lasted until March of 1919. We should be so lucky that COVID-19 would uh, fizzle out in an equally short amount of time, and as we've seen, it hasn't. This strain was not as deadly as the previous ones because most of the people had previously been infected back in 1918 with the virus and developed immunity, and many frail people had already lost their lives. Even though it is known as the Spanish flu, it did not actually originate from Spain. The name came because Spain became the first country to acknowledge the presence of the new disease spreading in the region. Spain was also one of the European countries hit hardest by the flu, which is why the name stuck. When the Spanish flu originated, it was still a mystery. There have been various theories that suggest it started in China, Britain, France or the U.S. However, we cannot be sure due to the lack of information stored during that time period. A majority of Spanish flu deaths were among young and healthy people, which was an unusual factor. An alarming number of U.S. soldiers serving in the First World War were affected by the flu, and many soldiers died from the flu. Then, even from the war. We see today many people that are dying are not as young and healthy. They are older and already have underlying health conditions. The preventative measures against influenza were limited to quarantine and self-isolation disinfectants, maintaining personal hygiene, and a ban on social gatherings at that time.
The field of medicine was not yet advanced enough to develop vaccines and antibiotics to prevent and treat this virus very efficiently. Thus, there were only limited measures people could take to protect themselves during that pandemic. Fortunately, we have the vaccines today, and I encourage everyone to get their vaccines and their booster shots. Take advantage of that. Uh, we see too many people who have died who did not believe in taking the vaccine. The symptoms of the first wave of influenza were comparatively mild. Many people would have have a fever that lasted only for a few days with some fatigue and chills, but they recovered. Uh, it was later that the Spanish flu became much, much worse. In the U.S., aspirin poisoning also became common due to the spread of influenza. At the time, doctors deemed it safe to prescribe 30 grams of aspirin to help with the symptoms. This dose is considered fatal in today's time. The symptoms of aspirin poisoning included fluid buildup in the lungs, and it is assumed that this played a part in the high deaths toes from the Spanish flu. So a lot of them may not have died from the Spanish flu, but died from aspirin poisoning, it is suggested. The first SARS COVID was detected back in 2003 in China. The strain found in 2019 is more transmissible than the one witnessed before. In the first 50 days of the transmission, it infected over 70,000 people and took 18,000 lives in China alone. It's staggering. The most significant way COVID-19 transfers is through our respiratory droplets. It means if an infected person opens their mouth around anyone for any reason, they are at risk of catching the virus from them. That is why it is important to wear a mask. And we see many states, cities, and counties returning to mask mandates going into the beginning of 2022. New mandates are being required even in restaurants and public uh, events that you must present your vaccination card. Some are now requiring even proof of your booster before you can even enter certain facilities. Here in Chicago, many restaurants as of January 3rd, 2022, will require proof of vaccination before entering the restaurant to dine. Things are really uh, just getting worse and worse, it seems, with this COVID-19. It doesn't have to be. If more people would mask up, get vaccinated, 
maybe the course of COVID-19 would fall to the wayside and be less of a threat and it would be like that of the 1918 Spanish flu that um, was fairly short-lived if we would only mask up, if we would only get our boosters and our vaccines because many haven't even gotten their first vaccine yet. Uh, this is just a brief comparison between the two. Um, in Michiana, um, many of the cities are returning to uh, colored red condition. Um, and on the map, it is showing that these counties are becoming red again. Um, South Bend, Elkhart, surrounding cities, uh, it is growing daily here in Chicago. The cases of COVID are rising once again that we have not seen in almost a year. Um, and a lot of it is due to the new variant and uh, people just not getting vaccinated. So please, if you take anything away from this comparison and this brief talk, get vaccinated, wear your mask, do your part to put this to bed so that we can all live and breathe again and maybe at some point not have to wear our masks. Thank you for listening. This is John Schaefer. The rest of the story. On the steamy 30th of July, Overton Park, Tennessee was teeming with country music enthusiasts. There was a big country music show down at the band shell. Big names, Webb Pierce, Slim Whitman, Marty Robbins, some small potatoes too. And one young man, the smallest of them all. He had cut a record which practically nobody had heard, but it was barely sufficient to qualify him as fill-in talent for the show. All of these country music stars, the boy wondered what on earth was he doing in their company. He felt like a mule that got entered in the Kentucky Derby. But then came the roar of an impatient crowd. The sound was staggering, chilling. How would the young man react when it was his turn to sing? Suppose everybody started hollering like that. It was unimaginable. A huge country jamboree in a massive outdoor theater. The young man's first big appearance on stage. How would he ever get through it? Suddenly the boy was jolted from his fearful pondering by a tap on the shoulder. And then the voice of his manager saying, you're next. The two most awful words that he had ever heard. The boy's blood ran cold. Somebody gave him a shove. Before he knew what had happened, he was out on the stage with what seemed like the entire world staring directly at him. Somehow he edged his way toward the microphone. Somehow he sang. The enthusiasm of the audience had frightened the young singer, but now their waning enthusiasm frightened him even more. So the boy did the only thing that he could do. He just stood there and sang, stood there in a frozen statue, tried with all of his heart to imagine that he were anywhere but here. And after what seemed an eternity, his first number was over, mercifully. 
But there was more to sing. Between numbers, the young man ran off stage. His manager greeted him icily. They're not warming up to you, the man said. You're frozen stiff out there. You got to get some confidence. You got to do something. You might as well give up this business. If only he could give up, the boy thought. But for now, at least, he had to finish his set, he had to honor his obligation, and so more terrified than ever, the young man returned to the microphone and sang, only now, by now he is trembling. By now he's just shaking all over. He's trembling so violently that everybody could see that he was... You're getting ahead of me, aren't you? By now everybody could see that he was trembling. Now the crowd began to shout again and this time louder than before. For some reason, while he had been received coolly at first, the audience now seemed to be enjoying him immensely. The audience loved him. It was the trembling to which the audience had responded. Well, that's what his manager later concluded. <laughs> His manager said, whatever you do, don't stop trembling. And the boy did not. That anxious day at Overton Park was almost 39 years ago. 1954. And what shook the most was the young singer's trembling knees. Perhaps you've wondered about the tremble which became a twitch and the jiggle that became a... Wiggle that, that became Elvis Presley. Well, now you know the rest of the story. 